Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I walked, you know, I walked in the first care because I wanted to change life for someone because I knew what they had gone through. I understood the trauma, but I wanted to mentor teenagers. So I thought at least they will allow me to mentor teenagers. So I said, hey, anyway, I could mentor teenagers. And the social worker said, hey, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I was like, I don't qualify. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm single. She's like, come on, you can be. And I was like, where do I sign up? And since then, I've been a foster dad. To truly not because I could do it, but this stranger taught me what a father ought to be. On how to love unconditionally because he loved me unconditionally. I was a thief, dirty, hopeless kid, but he saw the best in me. And I think for me, I wanted to use my past as a way to do good for others as well. And that's exactly what he's doing. He has fostered 27 children. He's adopted one and he's in the process of adopting a second child. Today on Connections, we're joined by Peter Mutabasi. He is the founder of Now I'm Known. He's a child and youth advocate. He has an absolutely powerful story. He went from the streets of Uganda to now a foster dad in the U.S. He's going to share that story with us today. Peter Mutabatsi is our guest today. He went from the streets of Uganda. He was living there on his own, no family. He had to steal to get his food. And today, he's a foster dad in the U.S. that has helped over 27 children. He's adopted one child and in the process of adopting a second child. Peter has a, an amazing book out called Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Peter, your story begins in Uganda, kind of in rural Uganda, I guess, but then on the streets of the capital city of Kampala. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood, first of all, and what drove you to the streets? Yeah, so I'm originally from Uganda, and I grew up, you know, among the poor of the poorest. Life was miserable in every shape form you could think of. So from my early childhood, you know, there was a sense of there's no future for you. I did not have a name until when I was two years old. Why? Because for every 100 children were born in my village, 60 would die before the age of two. So my mom was afraid to give me a name because she wasn't sure I would make it. So at two, she named me a gift given by God. That's what my name means. But really from poverty, think about like at four years old, I could go fetch water three to four miles away twice a day, help my family, contribute to life every day. So life was really, think about that you go to bed hungry or you don't have a meal. You know, it's hard for a mother to say, hey, there's a future for you when she can't feed you for a night. So that was really my my life in some way. You know, at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were poor, but I saw my dad was different from other dads. He just mean and abusive and he wasn't someone that were fun to be around or have at home. You know, it was just misery. But I also saw abuse towards me and my mother as well. So there was, you know, you have poverty outside that will take your life, but you also have the, the internal family, your own dad that should protect you, be your own, you know, worst nightmare. So for me, there was no glimpse of hope. Well, at the age of 10, I thought, look, rather than let my dad take my own life, I would rather die in the hands of the stranger. So I'd never been 20 miles away. I went on the bus and I went 500 kilometers away and I ended up in Kampala. And it wasn't like I was looking for hope. To me, it was like, I'd rather be among the worst or be abused the worst way, but by strangers rather than letting my own father do. So that's how I ended up in Kampala. And I had one option, and that one option was to be a street kid. And that became my life for five years. That's a pretty 
I don't know how how to describe it, like a pretty deep thought for a 10-year-old boy to have to think through, well, if I'm going to be abused to death, I'd rather it be by strangers than than my own father, right? And I can't imagine, like a 10-year-old kid, Kampala is a pretty large city, right? Like a couple million people, I think. How in the world do you survive on the streets as a 10-year-old? Well, there were other street kids. There were more than two thousand, you know, street kids in Kampala. So I learned, you know, you 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 create a family. You all come from the same place. You're facing the same issues. So I understood, and and quickly we learned how to survive. One was to steal, but we we're stealing while we're helping, so we can earn the rights to be on the streets. If you're useful to people, they're gonna abuse you, but also they're not gonna kick you away because you're gonna clean for them, you're gonna lift things for them, and that's what we did. And in the process, we would find food. And you know, we had a strategy. You know, I steal two bananas, someone else steals two potatoes. At the end of the day, we had enough to eat for all of us. You know, mm. we would we would hang out in groups. Uh, of you know same age uh, you know and, and that's how we made it you know of course it, it was really maybe the worst I could think of but there was a glimpse of hope that it wasn't my own father it was just strangers you know and on the streets we're treated more like stray animals because we ate from the garbage in the trashes so no one ever really considered us as humans you know no one ever thought of us as anything at all but just useless people and we believed that because that's what we smelled like that's what we looked like mm. and in some way you believe the lie of what people think of you yeah uh, and i guess you would feel that and hear that a lot as a young person and on the streets probably people making comments to you and stuff but uh, today you're not on the streets <laughs> you're a pretty successful man an amazing life story how in the world did you get off the streets then how do you get out of that situation as a kid with no education and stealing bananas and potatoes t- just to survive well you know as i told you that our job was to to steal what we're helping so one day i saw this gentleman he was wearing khakis glasses and spoke english so i knew oh this is my target you know so i <laughs> i follow i followed him to steal from him while i'm helping him and he's you know before i could do it he's like hey what's your name for four and a half years, no one had ever asked me my name. So he asked me my name and I was like, wait, what? You want to know my name? And that really brought more of, you know, the thoughts of my mother because my mother named me and she called me by my name. So for this stranger wanting to know my name, it kind of like, wow, someone wants to know what my mother called me. But at the same time, fear for everyone who was kind was abusive at the same time. So if someone was kind, it was a red flag, run, 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 because you know what's going to follow is abuse. But he didn't. He gave me something to eat and left. The next week he passed by. He called me by name the next week, you know. And so he got to know me and he fed me for one year and a half. And one day he said, hey, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm a street kid. You know, I'm no human. I am not. I'm garbage. That's what I'm referred to. Why would you think I have any opportunity or potential to do so? But for some reason, because he'd fed me for one year and a half, he had earned the right in some way from my end to trust him for a little bit, you know, and he used food as a way to attract me because he said, if you go to school, there'd be lunch, dinner and breakfast because it was a boarding school. That's all I had. Wait, there's food there? I'll go. I'll check it. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was looking for education. It was more like food? Sure, I'm on my way. And that's what attracted me. So once we got there, well, there was lunch. They gave me lunch. I waited for dinner. There was dinner. I waited for breakfast. There was breakfast. So in the process of waiting every day for that meal, I figured out, like, wait a minute. 
I have to be kind. I don't have to fight. I don't have to steal in order to keep eating this food. But also, I can go to school, pretend to go to school so I can keep eating the food. So for me, it was all about food. But along the way, I don't know how, but it opened opportunities to see like, wait a minute, I am more than just food. You know, and that's really what changed my life. <laughs> that I finished high school, I went to university in Uganda, I went to university in England, and that's how I came to the United States. Yeah, you wound up in the United States, immigrated there, and you became a foster dad. And that story's told throughout your book. Uh, how did you get into fostering children once you were in the United States? So how'd that opportunity present itself? And you did that as a single person, didn't you? Yes, I'm still single. I've had 27 children, you know, right now. What? Right now I have five, you know, I've adopted one and in the process of adopting the other. So, yeah, I've done it by myself in some way. I think for me, I was shocked to to come from the, the most, you know, poorest country on the planet in the most insanely way, at least for me as my experience, to come to United States where I saw food thrown away. And I think I struggled like, man, I mean... This God they've taught me, does he really love us the same way? These people have so much to throw away and others just have nothing, you know. But at the same time, I think there was a conviction for me like, wait a minute, Peter, you didn't have a family. You have a family. You didn't have hope, but you have hope now. You had no future, but you have a future now. In some way, like I really wanted to do what this man had done for me. So once I knew about Foscare, I was like, you know, I know, you know, I travel over the world. I had never seen a black person adapting in, in Uganda or in Ethiopia or in China. They were always white and they were always couples. So I thought, there's no way because, you know, it's funny when we don't see our, our representation, how we yeah. think we dis you know, we are not qualified to. Huh. So I didn't I didn't know they would allow me. So I walked, you know, I walked in the first game because I wanted to change life for someone because I knew what they had gone through. I understood the trauma, but I wanted to mentor teenagers. So I thought at least they will allow me to mentor teenagers. So I said, hey, anyway, I could mentor teenagers. And the social worker said, hey, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I was like, I don't qualify. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm single. She's like, come on, you can't be. And I was like, where do I sign up? And since then, I've been a foster dad to truly not because I could do it. But this stranger taught me what our father ought to be on how to love unconditional because he loved me unconditional. I was a thief, dirty, hopeless kid, but he saw the best in me. And I think for me, I wanted to use my past as a way to do good for others as well. So for me, Foscare was the best way I could really use my own journey to help those who were in the same place as I was as a kid. 27 kids as a single man, I'm married and we're trying to raise two kids and <laughs> I'm having trouble with that. Like, what have you learned through the, this process and 27 kids and welcoming them? And I'm sure a lot have their own things that they're coming with, right? Maybe same feelings that you had, like they're unworthy, they're dirty, they're useless and things like that. What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over the years? Oh, well, you know, I think I went in thinking I was going to help kids, but I found that actually they've helped me more than I helped them. Like I feel huh. like they've given me more than I have done for them. They've really taught me what a, what a father ought to be, how to love unconditional, how to give sacrificially as well. But two, the other part is like, I, here in the United States, there's, there's more married and single female that are foster parents and hardly any man. So I found out like, oh, I, I am one of the few 
you know, I, I started in Oklahoma and I was the only male in the entire state. And I was like, okay. So then I re- realized that I need to use this as a foundation to truly inspire other men. Like, hey, it is our responsibility to take care of our babies and be, you know, and be 10 yeah. and be there for as well. Then the other part was I... I thought being a foster dad who's black, they're going to give me black kids. That's what I thought. They're the most marginalized. But, you know, I have white kids, you know, and, and that really has been a joy for me to learn. Like, oh, when it comes to abuse, it really affects every gender, every child, every economic status. And for me, I think it's really showed me on what a, what a father should be. You know, changing the narrative as well. I think I come from Africa where we've, we, we were always told the colonial kind of sense why people come and save us and do good, we mm. receive, you know? So for me, singing the other way, like, oh, I have a part to really change the narrative, you know? That I, as a dad, I can change lives of any child, you know? But also, yeah. like, I, I'm not into protesting, into rest. For me, I'm like, I, that's not my thing, but I want my testimony to be so. My life every day to be that testimony. That If I can love kids who don't look like me, man, you should have empathy towards me or have empathy towards others that don't necessarily look like you. And that has been a joy. Have you found it hard to be a father, not having a good example uh, of a father growing up? Or have you found it easy because you kind of know, well, I'll just do the opposite of whatever my father did. And Exactly. You know, I think for me, I always I look at these kids and I always think, what did I want my dad to do that he never did? You know, what mm. things did I go through that no one understood? But also the other way is his man, he later, put, you know, introduced me to his family and that became part of his family. So he told me what a father ought to be, you know, seeing him eat and have fun and ask his kids about homework, something I'd never seen before. You know, this is what I had from my dad. Your garbage you never mount anything. I wish you were never born so I don't have to feed you. That's what I had every day, morning and night from my dad. To be in a home where this man was gentle and kind and always wanted to know about his family. I was like, man, if I ever be a dad, I want to be that dad. And I think that's really what helped me because he walked the journey and really showed me how. 27 foster kids, but you mentioned earlier you're in the process of adopting another, but you already have one adopted son, Anthony. Tell us a little bit about that part of your story. <laughs> yeah, so I had, you know, you know, fostering is really fun, but there's one thing they didn't teach me how to say goodbye, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like when we, we let them go because we want them to be with their family for sure, but it's hard as a parent when you've had this child for a year or two. So when Anthony came, I was done, you know. I, I had two kids who had gone back home. I was like, I can't do this. So I told my social worker, I need a break, at least for, you know, three to six months. So this is on Monday. On Friday, I get a phone call, <laughs> you know, like, hey, can you help? I was like, no, I said I need three months. And they said, this kid is the hospital. He just needs only the weekend. So I said, weekend, I can do. So he finally came in. And as soon as the social worker left, he looked at me. I said, look, my name is African, so it's long, but you can call me Mr. Peter. And he looked at me. I said, but can I call you my dad? I'm like, hell no. That's what I said. And he looked at me and said, did he just curse? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he, he just said, you know, I'm 11. I was told I can choose who my father should be. I'm choosing you. And I'm like, dude, please. No, you know, really. Because I I, I, I was done, you know. Yeah. To having a kid for 20 minutes in your in your house and say, can you? I was like, I've been teased about this thing. No, no, no. So he finally came to pick him up on Monday. I was like, oh, 
so could you now tell me the story? Because I didn't want to know the story before he came because I didn't want to get attached. So I was like, I don't want to know. So finally they told me he was in the foster care at one year and a half. Then he was placed with a family at four. He was adopted at four by the same family. And this family had dropped him at the hospital and they never said goodbye, never gave him the reason why they did not want him anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, this kid just told me he wants to be, I want, he wants me to be his dad. And, and I think I, I went back to my own journey as a 10-year-old. I was like, man, there's no way I can let this kid go. So I told the social worker, I said, you know what? He's already called me dad. It's okay. Give me the paperwork. And well, two years later, wow. it, was my, it became my son. So, you know, for every family, it's, it's amazing how, how that happened, you know, through just obedience and saying, man, I, I want to be there for this kid. And, and it's truly been a joy. He's changed me more than I have changed him. That's so amazing. I was wondering at the beginning uh, when you were telling the story about uh, your mom naming you gift from God, it's, it, you said, um, but Peter, um, you go by now. What is your African name? You told him that it was long. Tell us your African name. <laughs> so my African name is Mutabazi. So once I became a U.S. citizen, I chose to take my father's name as a sign uh-huh. of forgive, as a sign of forgiveness, as a sign of really wanting to deal with the past. Like, hey, you know, he's my dad. I'm proud of him for what he did. Not good, but I've forgiven him in some way, and that's that's my my, my last awesome. name, Mutabazi. Love it. So, and you'll find that uh, Peter Mutabazi on the uh, byline of the book. Now I am known. Tell us about the book, how, how it came to be. Did you always have a desire to get your life story out and share it with others? No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I have a publisher who tried seven years ago and they would always try like, hey, can we write your book? I was like, I'm not ready. And I think once I became a foster dad and through the adoption, I think I, I thought now I have a story to t- tell my kids because you know, I wrote this book for my kids in some way because they love me as, as their dad, but I wanted to see the, how I'd be the odds in some way, how someone saved my life to know that, yes, they're in the same position as I was as a kid, but to know that they can make it through like I did, you know? Mm-hmm. And this book also is for everyone, I think, you know, who've gone through a difficult time or even childhood where we can look back and say, Yes, we can use our past as a way yeah. to heal ourselves, but also to to use it to save others, to do better for others. Like for me, holding on that anger towards my dad was a way of losing my future because that would have ruined my future. And I did not want that to be. And I wanted to show that to my kids like, hey, yes, you, you, you've gone through a difficult time, but man, you can use it as a foundation to do better for yourself and those around you. And that's what I chose to do. So for me, that... That was a way to really show, you know, uh, and, and you know, you, you, you're interviewing me now because I have a story, but I wanted you to know, like, with that, there's a behind story of how I got here, you know, for, for many of my followers, that I wanted them to give them a glimpse of why am I dad? Why do I care about the most vulnerable? Because I was one of them, and I beat the ads, and we can all do the something for them as well. Yeah. I, I love that title. Now I am known. Just tell us a little bit about that and how you came to that feeling of being known finally. Right. For that man. So for, you know, for all my years, I was being called garbage. You never amount to anything. You know, you trash boy. But he did, out of that trash, out of that garbage, he saw a little boy with the potential and he wanted to call me by name out of that. And I think for me, that's what I wanted to, to do. He made me known. I was just a, a nobody, but he gave me a name in some way, made me 
a better human being and inspired me because he referred me to who I was. And I think that's the whole idea for me that I want to make others known. You know, uh, we've had, you know, uh, people who have gone through domestic abuse to say, no, you're not alone. You are known. You're special. And we're here and you belong. And I want to do something for you to be whoever you want to be. And for my kids, that's why, to make them known. I think most of them, they feel I'm a foster kid. No one cares about me. My mom is not here. My dad is not here. I'm moving from one home to the other to truly say, no, yes, that is the case. But you are special. You're known. You're hard and seen. Is why I came up with that title. Did you ever have an opportunity to see your mom or dad again and speak with them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think once I, you know, at 19, once I was in school, I, I wanted, I think I wanted the pride. I think I wanted to go back home and, and show my dad like, hey, you wish the worst for me. But really, that's no, that's not the case. But for my mother, I loved my mother and she protected me the best way she can. But I wanted to give her comfort that your son is OK, not just OK, but doing excellently well. And that's the reason why I wanted to go back. And my siblings, too, they have all gone through university. They are all doing well, not because they, they're smarter than anyone else. But mm-hmm. I think that he said the example for me. So they had someone to say, if Peter can do it, we can do it as well. And I wanted to do that for them as well. Like I could not take them out of the abuse, but at least I can give them the education I was given. And that's really changed my entire family as well through the kindness of one stranger. Such an inspiring story. Uh, I feel like you will be moved to make a difference as well when you pick up this book. Actually, I know you will. Uh, Now I am known how a street kid turned foster dad uh, found acceptance and true worth. Peter, tell us how we can get our hands on the book and find out more about you and the work that you do and connect with you. Well, absolutely. So the book is sold all over the world. You can find it in any bookstore, Amazon, Nemec, you know, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can find it. You can also find it on my website, nowimknown.com. You can also find us on, you know, Instagram, you know, Foster Dad Flipper, or on Instagram as well, Foster Dad Flipper, or just Peter Mutabazi is the way you can find us. Uh, on YouTube, Now I'm Known as well. We try to show people on how we parent. I think a lot of people out there, they think of fostering often. Uh, But they will mention what you said is a truth about fostering, that it's hard. You have to let go and say goodbye. And they say, oh, I can't do it because I would have to say goodbye. What do you say to people that have really considered fostering but have have been a little shy or maybe even scared to give it a go? I mean, it's the most amazing thing to do. Like, I never dreamt I'll be a dad and hear my dad. But post-care is really, these are our kids. Like, they are not someone else's kids. It's our community. And if we can't really step in and save them, there's nowhere else they, they go. They didn't choose to be born in these homes. So we can't say, well, sorry, you know, they're kids that we ought to truly change their lives as well. The other part is, yes, we get attached. Yes, it's hard to say goodbye. But it's those feelings that make you the best parents you can be. When you love someone, you're going to fight harder for them. When you love someone, you're going to really be there for them at their hard time. When you love someone, that despite of they're going through, you're going to embrace and love on them. So that is a human way. Like, I'm not a robot. You know, sometimes people say, how do you do it? Well, it's those connections that you get attached, that you love them. So connection isn't a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Yeah. If, you, if, you were, if you were not, uh, if you didn't have emotion attached, we would, I don't think you'd be, we would allow you to be a foster parent, you know. 
but but it is what what makes you a best parent when you get attached. And I'm a single dad. If I can do it, literally, I can say anyone can do. There's a village, you know. It takes a village to truly be be there for these kids. And we can't all be false parents. I get that, but we can all do something small. You know, you provide a meal for someone, you know, yeah. who's who's a false dad. You can take dinner. You can bring them something. You can even take their teenagers away to play video games. So you are the role right. model. You know, so there's little things we can do along the way to help just that one family do the best they can did has faith played a role in your journey then uh or has this just been something a passion of your heart well faith absolutely the man who took me in you know i think about like i was i'm a lawyer but he saw the best in me when i could not even see myself you know but i saw that and i was like i want to be like him but then i realized like oh he was a believer then i realized like oh I see what motivates him, and that's how I became a believer as well. But also, I had also too much hatred towards my dad. I think I wanted to go back mm. home and break his leg and do something. But then I realized that, man, that anger is not going to help. So my faith is really what helped me in that. Forgiveness is the ultimate way to truly let go of our past. And, and so my faith has been key in, in, in what we do. Two, in how I relate to my, you know, to the biological parents of my kids. Like, I foster the kids, but I have to engage the parents as well, because the ultimate goal is for them to go back home. And if I can, you know, yes. I'm, the, I'm the most educated human being you, you, you think of. I have every resource. I had 100 hours to learn how to be a parent. To somehow, for someone who had a baby at 16, to think they should have the same knowledge as I do, is far-fetched. And I think that there are also mental uh, illness that come alongside, and if we can inspire them to do better and come alongside and be the resource, we the, the greatest thing we could do for these kids is to go back home. And I yeah, am right. learning, and I am learning that in, in the best way possible. That is the greatest thing. I love that. Um, my wife and I had looked into fostering before we had kids. I was a youth pastor. She's a psychologist in the school system. And, and that was our goal, like not to get these kids and keep them, but how can we give them a safe space until they can be reunited? How can we help out mom and dad too, right? Become better parents. And yeah, I think that's a great thing to be a part of as well. Yes, I have extended family that I didn't have before. You know, right. I'm, in, I'm in touch with all the 24 kids I've had. Why? Awesome. Because, because I did the best I can to also include the parents. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm the most wealthiest as in family. You could imagine because of that extended, you know, family that I, I've had in my life. Well, I'm going to go talk to my wife and telling her we're fostering 10 kids right away. You <laughs> inspired it and encouraged me. And uh, yeah, we've often been saying, oh, not right now because we have two young kids now, right? But maybe it's the perfect time to start too. So. Oh, that warms my heart, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Peter, the book is amazing and uh, your life story is amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Well, thank you for making us seen, hard unknown. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.